This is where we were last week. And I asked a question last week uh, that really had been addressed to Elijah three different times. And I'm going to read the, the end of that passage this morning, beginning with verse 15. So 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning with verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the, the, the son of Nipshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And, the, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meol, shalt thou anoint to be the prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapes the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which are not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. This is the last instruction, basically, that God gives to Elijah because three times, on three different occasions, God asked Elijah a question. Now we remember from last week that Elijah has just had this tremendous moment on, on Mount Carmel. That God had just demonstrated his great power and had consumed this sacrifice at, at Elijah's request. But upon this great victory and on the killing of the prophets of Baal, Jezebel threatened Elijah and that if, if he was still alive within 24 hours that she wouldn't be queen anymore. So instantly... Elijah began to run for his life. And he, as he was running, questions were coming. God was posing to him questions. And in two different times, in a cave, God asked him, Elijah, why are you here? And, and it's not just why are you in the cave. You know, it, the, the question was, you know, What's in your mind? What's in your heart? What, what's going on that you, that having just experienced this great victory, that you now have run for your life and you're alone in this cave? Elijah, why are you here? Each time that the question was asked, Elijah described the situation and the circumstances. Each time he addressed the hardship that the situation had created for him, and how awful and how hopeless his situation was because of the situation and how alone he was. So every time the question was asked, every time that God posed this question to Elijah, he described the difficulty of his circumstances. He described the hardship that those circumstances had created. And he described how alone he was because of all that had happened. And it's kind of interesting at the end of God's instruction the last thing that he says, and by the way, Elijah, you're describing yourself as being alone and you're the only one left and you're the only one faithful and you're the only one who's obedient to me and you're the only one who's paying attention, the only one that, that I'm using. And he tags that scripture at the end. He says, and by the way, Elijah, I have 7,000 who haven't bent their knee to Baal and who haven't kissed him. I want to tell you this 
answer to Elijah was not a blessing. I, I read commentary after commentary about how, how Elijah is now leaving adjusted and blessed because of this encounter with God. I want to tell you, this is a sad day in the life of Elijah because the only thing that Elijah's left to do is to go name his replacement because God has found in Elijah, even as blessed as he is, the man that he is in relationship with God, God has been asking Elijah three different times to just simply be honest with me. When I ask you, why are you here? Be honest with me. Any one of those three times, Elijah could have been honest with God. But every time he just described the difficulty of his situation and his circumstances. And I want to tell you, this is one of those moments. We don't talk much in this church about this, but this is one of those moments of extreme self-pity. He looked at his circumstances, he looked at how awful it was, and he said, the best thing I can do is just withdraw. And God's saying, why are you withdrawing? These are just circumstances. Didn't you, haven't you over the course of your life seen my great victory? Haven't you seen the demonstration of my power? Haven't you felt the goodness of my love? Elijah, why now are you withdrawing? Where are you going? And when Elijah refused to be honest, I believe that this is one of those moments when God is just saying to Elijah, I'm going to give you one more responsibility, and that's for you to find your replacement. Because every time he asked, why are you here? There was never an honest answer. What was God looking for from, from Elijah? What did he want to hear? He wanted to hear, an on, first of all, he wanted to hear an honest answer. But the one thing he failed to do, the one thing that Elijah failed to do with those questions was to assess himself and say, what have I brought into this story? What mindset do I have that's put me in this cave? What lie have I agreed with that put me in this cave? Because what was the lie that was, that, that, that was running in Elijah's head? What was the lie? I want to tell you, it's one that, it's going to sound very familiar. I'm sorry? Accusing others. I'm, I'm alone. Uh, you know, here, here's this very strange reality for Elijah that he was told this lie that if you'll run, you're better off. I want to tell you, that is the lie that Satan whispers over and over and over. If you'll just run. If you'll find some way to escape, some addiction to, you know, that, will, that will create a cover, some way, some, some means, some effect that will simply remove me from this situation. Because, and that exactly was the lie that was spoken. When Jezebel threatened him, when he heard that voice, the lie entered in and says, I'll be, I'll be better off if I run. I guarantee you. The Christian world, and I'm not talking about the unsaved world, I'm talking about the Christian world is full of people who heard the same lie and chose to run. There are, there are people who aren't here this morning, and I'm, this, there's no criticism in this, but they've heard that lie. I'm better off. We hear that lie because, you know, Elijah, uh, Elijah had a servant. He left him behind. Because in this mindset, I'm safer if I'm alone. These lies are just playing in Elijah's head. And I would ask you this morning, in the same thing, what are you agreeing with? What lie have you believed? About yourself, primarily. About your relationship with God and who He is. What lie have you, have you received? What lie have you believed? 
that has helped you think I'll be better off if I'm just alone. The other thing he failed to do was to understand his weakness or his struggle. There was one thing that God really wanted. He wanted Elijah to say, God, I ran because I'm afraid. I ran because I'm scared to death. I do believe with all my heart, if there had been that moment of honesty with Elijah, his last assignment wouldn't have been to name his replacement. I do believe that there was a life set before Elijah that was, that was changed, not by God, but by Elijah, simply because he would not believe the greatness, the goodness, the power of God and wouldn't be honest with him in his assessment. We talked about this last week, and, I, and I, I'm not going to stop here for, for very long, but I would ask you, if you feel like you're in a cave, what's the characteristics of that cave? I'm, I'm walled in. I'm alone. Things don't look very bright for me. Ask, let, answer that question, why am I here? Don't describe your circumstances. Don't describe your husband. Don't describe your wife. Don't describe your job. Don't describe your finances. Describe you to God. Say, God, this is who I am. This is what I'm facing. Describe yourself. Because I believe in that moment of honesty that the healing will begin. I, don't want to, I didn't want to stop there because that was last week's message. We're going on. In verse 19. So he departed thence and found Elisha. Now please, I'll do my best to keep these separated. But if I, I may say Elijah when I mean Elisha. And I may say Elisha when I mean Elijah. Uh, do your best to fix it in your head. Uh, it was very unfortunate that God would pick these two men that had the same names. He could have picked somebody named Ralph or George or something. It made this a whole lot easier. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle or his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. <clears throat> and he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them, and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah, and he ministered unto him. This passage begins a new response to the same question. Last week's message was entitled, Elijah, why are you here? This one is entitled, Elisha, why are you here? Though it, this question was unasked by God, there's no, as it was previously with Elijah, there's no, God's not saying, Elisha, why are you here? But it's, it's okay, I think, for us to ask that question and say, Elisha, why have you done what you have done? Why are you here? Why are you now following Elijah? A few minutes ago or a few hours ago or a day or two ago, you were plowing the field. Now you have dropped everything so that you can follow Elijah. Why did you leave your family and friends? Why did you leave your oxen and, and the work of your hands? Why did you do that? Why are you here? Why are you standing, walking along with Elijah? 
I think it's a great question. And I do believe it's a question that Elijah, Elisha could answer very easily. I believe it's a question that he wouldn't stumble over an answer if, if, he were, if God had to ask him. There are so many believers today, you and I, who are adrift, not knowing their identity that God's spoken over us, nor knowing our destiny. There's a few who actually know it and, and are still adrift because of the uncertainty of stepping into it. Most or are, are many believers live each day in a way that represents that they, they don't know exactly where to go, they don't know exactly what to do, but they've never even considered that God had appointed to them or for them something dynamic and different. Most Christians today, that, that I think I could represent this honestly and truthfully, most Christians today don't see themselves as being dynamic in the kingdom of God. Don't see themselves as having a big role or playing an important part. Or living a life that is bigger and more dynamic than they have even considered before. I shared this on, I think on Wednesday night, but uh, several probably years ago now, on a Sunday night, I, I asked everybody to take a little piece of paper, and I said, I'm going to read a story from the Bible. And I want you to put down on that paper the character that you most correctly uh, recognize or describes you, that you associate with. So I began to read the story of Jesus coming to Lazarus' tomb, about, the, the, about Mary and about Martha, and about the people who were there to mourn, and about Lazarus being in the tomb. And I said, as I read it, and I said this, as you associate with one of the characters, write it down. So we gathered them up afterward, and I handed them all to Mike and said, Mike, count them, give me a tally. There were a lot of Marthas, and there were a lot of Marys. There were a few who associated with Lazarus. A few who associated with the mourners who had come because of the weeping. You know who no one associated with? No one saw themselves as Jesus in the story. Not a single person saw themselves as Jesus in the story. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we are Jesus in the story. He lives in us, works through us. We are Jesus in these stories. But most of us live day to day going about doing what we're doing, living the life that we're living, going to work, coming home, every, you know, day after day looks the same. Never even imagining, thinking of the possibility that God had something great assigned to us and appointed to us and wanting to anoint us. When Elijah threw this cloak around Elisha's shoulder, he knew immediately what that meant because that was the common way for someone to be called into, in, into, that, into that life. He didn't hesitate. He knew exactly what it meant when that cloak came across his shoulders and he looked at Elijah. He knew exactly the invitation that he was being given. And I love what Elisha did and I love what he didn't do. I would tell you, first of all, he was in great company. 
you and I adrift are in great company. He was plowing, doing what he did every day. We're doing what we do every day. And, and again, we're in great company. Gideon, who was fearful and hiding in the, under the threshing floor when God called him to lead an army of 300 against an army of 140,000. Going about his business, scared to death because of threats against him, hiding under the threshing floor when the angel of the Lord comes under that threshing floor and says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And I know that Gideon had to be wondering, who in the world is he talking about? But Gideon led an army of 300 against an army of 140,000, nor he nor any of the 300 were even injured. David, who was a shepherd, the most unlikely, the, the youngest of all his brothers, the one who didn't even get brought in to be considered when Samuel came looking for the next king of Israel, was called by God to kill Goliath and to lead Israel as their king. He moved from a shepherd to the reality of a king. Moses, guilty of murder, hiding on the backside of the wilderness. When God spoke to him from a burning bush and says, you will be the deliverer of my people. So here's Moses who had just totally messed his life up, killing an Egyptian, running for his life. And God speaks to him. And now he's the deliverer of all of Israel out of the hands of Egypt. Joseph, now betrayed by his brother, sold into slavery, lied about in prison, forgotten about, but called by God to be the salvation of his father and the salvation of his people. I want to tell you, every one of these people were going about their everyday lives. But the unique thing about them, what did they have in common with Elijah? When they heard the voice of God, they all did exactly the same thing because he believed and he trusted that Elijah represented the voice of God. Why would he say yes? Because he knew that that wasn't Elijah who threw that mantle around his neck. He knew that he had just heard the voice of God. That's what would allow him to step out boldly. And you ask him, Elijah, why are you here? I'm here because God called my name. He knew that he didn't go because of Elijah. He knew that he went because of God. I want to tell you that will change, that will change your story. I'm not standing here as pastor of First Baptist Church in Sundown because you chose me or because I chose you. I'm here because in, on December the 27th, 2006, I was standing right here in this place filling in for Brother Dale and God gave me a vision, showed me a revelation that I would be the next pastor of this church. You didn't pick me. God picked me. And I will stay as long as he says yes. The minute he says, no, I will be gone. But I want to tell you, that, and I'll knock on wood, I'll knock on my head, I'll knock wherever I need to. This has been the most remarkable six years I've ever experienced in my life. The most blessed, the most unusual. To be able to come to the reality that we have been together for six years. The first, the first Sunday in February was the end of six years. So we're now in the seventh year. And we have lived in unity and harmony together in an unbelievable way because, because I listened and because you listened to the voice of God. It's not hard to say yes when you know God did it. Elijah, why are you here? Because it did not matter how great or prestigious Elijah was. 
He knew that he wasn't taking Elijah's place. He knew that he was taking his own place. He didn't have to compare himself with the greatness of Elijah. He didn't have to compare himself with the stories that he had heard of Elijah because he knew that there was something unique about what God had called him to do. And he didn't have to compare. I was not, and, and this may sound wrong, but I was not intimidated that Dale Cain was the pastor before me. And Dale certainly wasn't probably intimidated by, by pastors before him in other places. Because I, I, I wasn't here to do Dale's work. I was here to do God's work that he had put within my heart and in my hands. To release what he had put here to release through me. And because the mantle didn't shock him. For most of us today, if God called us to do something great, it would shock us. It would, it would just stun us. We use you as an example. On Wednesday night, we were talking about someone who needed just a special visit, needed, needed something, needed a real blessing. And Cody was sitting back here. And as soon as the service was over, he just stepped out and he came quickly and says, I'm supposed to go on Saturday. I'll, I, I'm the one I'm supposed to go. I want to tell you, there, there are a lot of reasons why Cody could have said, God, you've got to be talking to somebody else. But we come to this place within our heart, within our own understanding about ourselves that says, I should never be surprised that God speaks my name and calls me out and asks me to be obedient. It should never shock us. If it does, something is kind of sadly off in our mind and in our heart to believe that God wouldn't choose us because, I hate to say this, but there's a place in the Old Testament where he called a donkey to talk. If he can call a donkey to deliver his message, all of us qualify for service. If you disqualify yourself, you put yourself just somewhere a little bit lower than that donkey. He used birds to feed Elijah. If he's going to choose to use those things, those animals, I tell you, we're all qualified. Because he says he uses the low things, the base things, the ones who have humility to bring such great blessing to others. We should never be surprised. Elijah, Elisha was not surprised when that mantle came around his neck. And I love this one. Because he didn't evaluate his own shortcomings. He didn't say, God, oh my goodness, you, you know, God, I, I thank you for the offer. I thank you, Lord, that you called me to do something, but do, you know, God, my goodness. You know, I've got this field to plow, you know, I've got a family to take care of, I've got all these things, God, and I haven't read my Bible in so long, I haven't been to church. God, you, you, something, something's got to be wrong. But we never hear in this that Elisha evaluated his shortcomings. Why? Because God didn't see them. God didn't care because he was looking into Elisha's heart and knew that the minute that the question came, that the answer from Elisha would be yes. And he didn't seem to be afraid. He didn't seem to hesitate. Doubt didn't ever seem to rise up in him because he knew it was from God and he knew that every shortcoming that he could speak before God, what would God do? If you, if you were to say, well, God, you, do you know how poor I am? What would God say? Yeah, I know. 
Do you know I don't speak very well? Yeah, I know. Do you know I'm kind of slow? Yeah, I know. Do you know I'm old? Yeah, I know. And I chose you anyway. Absolutely nothing you can describe to God that would, that would disqualify you. Because he believed that God had something for him that was greater than what he could see for himself. Do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that God has something greater for you than what you can imagine for yourself? I wonder what was going on in Elisha's mind as he was plowing. I wonder if he was sitting there thinking, I bet, I bet Elijah's coming by here after a while. No. He was plowing, he was working. And here comes Elijah and here comes the mantle and it wraps around him. And what an amazing reality for, for him. Because in that moment he realized that God had seen something in him that maybe he had never even seen in himself. And though he was firmly attached to his current life, he did not let, this is hard, he did not let earthly affection hold him back from following what God called him to do. Boy, that's a hard one right there. That's the hard one. Get this picture. And I think I'm right in this in my understanding. If, if, I'm, if I'm wrong, I'll go back and fix it someday. But I think I'm right. He's plowing with these oxen and the equipment. When Elijah finds him. When he goes back, he says, I need to go back and say goodbye to my mother and to my father and... and and, and Elijah says, go. You know, he doesn't he try to hold him back. What is it that he killed? Killed what he was working with. He burnt what he was using. What's he saying? The security that I once had in that, I now find in God. What did, what did the disciples do? They laid down their nets. Everything they had ever known, all the security they had ever had, they laid it down because it's far more secure to stand in the will of God and under his anointing than it is to try to feel secure outside of it. And he destroyed everything. My goodness, how hard would that be? To walk away from everything that today that, you, that gave you security because you heard God speak your name and you knew that that was what God had called you to do. Amazing. In Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 15, there's this, there's this statement. As, as Samuel is talking to King Saul in this great moment of disobedience, he says to, he says to, to, to uh, King Saul, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken in the fat of rams. What's the prophet Samuel saying? Elisha, when that mantle struck your shoulder, the yes in your heart rose up and you had one desire that discounted everything is I had a desire to be obedient to God more than anything else. Nothing was more important than being obedient to that moment. That was the urgency I saw in Cody. He was, he was walking quickly. I mean, there was an urgency about him. And I know, he didn't know the person. 
But the stirring of God in him, he found the yes. And the desire to be obedient was greater than any hesitation or any doubt. So I ask this question today. What stands in your way? What stands in my way? Is it something external? Is it a job? Is it circumstances, situations? What externally keeps you from being able to answer the question, why are you here? To be able to say, I'm here because God put me. I'm here because God sent me. I'm here because I was obedient. I'm here because this is the place where I heard God's voice. This is the place where God sent me to bless. This is where God sent me to give. This is where God sent me to love. This is where God sent me to heal. This is why I'm here. Because I heard the voice of God and I know. But is there something external that's standing in your way from stepping into that reality and being everything? All that God had intended. For most of us, it's probably much more likely an internal struggle. Our inadequacies, our own fears, our own doubts, our own uncertainties, all that, that we could put on that list. Most of the time, what stands in our way from stepping into the greatness that God sees in us that we may not see is some internal struggle. Maybe like with Elisha, I mean Elijah with his self-pity, his being alone. How much greater it would be to, when the question comes to us, why are we here? Because God sent me, and I said yes. Because God sent me. And all I did was follow. Can you say that about yourself today? Which of these two men <clears throat> sounds more familiar to you? Somewhere hiding in a mindset or in brokenness, or in the bad news or the circumstances or situation where you find yourself. How many are sitting there like Elijah, feeling boxed in and feeling alone? And how many can say under the blessing of, of, of Elisha, I'm standing here with Elijah because God called me. He saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. He took me from where I was to where he wanted me to be. I heard his voice and I said yes. I can tell you this morning it's God's desire that, that every one of us answer the same way. If I were to ask David, why are you a farmer? The answer that I would hope would come because God's only the, real, the only really good farmer that's ever lived. I would love for David to say, I, I farm because that's where God put me. He sent me. He put me there. In obedience, I went. So every day, God uses this, these hands and this heart to farm, to produce, so that I can give. Jay, why are you an architect? Because that's where God put me. That's where God sent me. I heard his voice. And I stand there under the blessing and the anointing of God doing what only God had called me to do. What an amazing reality if you can say that about where you stand, where you sit, what you do to say I'm, I function every day under the anointing of God. Shorty's testimony as he shared a few weeks ago 
you know, this great moment in his life of farming. But there became a real yes in him. And the blessing and the provision of God that came. Because I believe Shorty would tell you from that point forward, he, was, he knew he was only farming because of the goodness of God. Because of the anointing of God. Because you couldn't explain it any other way. You know, why are you a housewife? Because that's what God has called me to do. I'm not diminished by it. I'm obedient to it. Man, that's remarkable. And it's perfect. And it creates unity in a body. Because his hands and his heart are all functioning well. When we can say, I am who I am. Because God sent me. Obedience I w- in obedience I went. So everywhere I go, I'm a God sent. Everywhere I go, I'm God's blessing to somebody. 